Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Hank Vogler, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Hank Vogler checking in as he does every Monday from North Spring Valley, Nevada, on this day of infamy. Right. This is my grandfather's birthday. December 7th, 1941. It was his 50th birthday. Really? It was a turning point in, in the family's fortune and the family's life. Hmm. Not only the fact that the war was going on, but the absolute, you know, he'd bet everything he had could possibly do uh, to put a ranch together and the government came along and said, uh, "Mr. Vo- well, right after the attack, mm-hmm. we'd like to see the receipts on your 1941 grain crop. He showed it to him, and they wrote him a check for the same amount and said, now you'll do this for the war effort. Gave him 25 agricultural deferments. Gave him all the gas coupons, tire coupons, everything you possibly need. And um, he was off and running. I'll be darned. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Yep. And and he you did. and I have explored a lot of our uh, historical components, but there's a new one. Yes, sir. That and you were, what, like 20 years that... old in 1941? <laughs> no, I, was, I, was, I guess I was a baby boomer after the... People came back from the war. I was born in '49. You know, so, I anyhow, yeah. Through the the last twenty years of doing seeking stories and doing radio, I've run into a lot of people whose lives in rural America were destroyed as a result of World War II. Destroyed in that well, if you if you happen to have property that the army deemed as strategic. They just take it. Yeah, yeah. Colorado, but by Texas. the same token, here. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people yeah. that way. And and I just remember, you know, sitting at the dinner table, and and of course, TV was black and white snow if if it was even on. And old friends would come to visit him, and it was always the same conversation: how tough the thirties were. Mm-hmm. And then after they would get through. Laying it all out, how tough a time they had, for whatever reason. What you know, I cannot. I've never been able to put my finger on that. But whatever optimism that man had. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, there, Charlie. Now listen. Yeah, the 30s were tough. You couldn't get a hold of money. That was the problem. But anything you bought, you could buy worth the money and sell it mm-hmm. and make a profit. And he used that. Terrible term, parody. Now, you know, why you could buy a wiener pig for 50 cents and sell it for a a dollar or whatever. Uh, The grain, everything you could put through that animal. Well, they could make money because they had changed their farming practices with the drought of the 30s. That was what he talked about, the drought. But as far as making money, you could make money. If you could get a hold of money, and then by the time the war started and the buildup of war, they fought on the on the wheat fields. 
you know, his father had gone broke after the First World War because everybody said, oh, store your grain. This stuff will never be another dark day. Well, all that grain that went into those horses now didn't go into those horses because they had mm-hmm. new machines, uh, mechanical devices. So, again, it was his, in a way, it was just he he his optimism kept him going. Or whatever it was, I have no idea. And the fact that that uh, uh, by the mid late thirties, the war, the build up, all the things that were going on in Europe, the price of wheat had doubled. And they, instead of planting spring wheat in eastern Washington, were now planting winter wheat with deep furrow drills and and, and farming practices had changed. Price of wheat had doubled before the war came along. Then. When the war came along, uh, and what for, you know, whatever, that <laughs> December 7th was his 50th birthday, he, uh, by the spring, he, you know, he was off and running. And, and of course, then the prices just skyrocketed for, for products. And then, of course, after the war, they condemned all of his property in eastern Washington to go over under the Hoover Dam. Yeah. Not under the Hoover Dam. Mm. but in the irrigation project and he could only keep a little bit of land so he traded it out for land in eastern Oregon out of Hermiston, Butter Creek Pine City moved over there (laughs) so I mean but it was it was a turning point in his life really the whole family just to to put that into context you're talking about feeding the horses we tend to forget that it was 1952 the first year that we had more tractors than horses and mules on farms. That's 10 years after the start of World War II. Yes, but the phase-out had already Mm -hmm. started after the First World War. Yeah, And the surpluses that we were producing, because we were still farming the prairie, we were still moving west in in almost the same migration we were after the Civil War. Just people were, were... the innovations, mechanical innovations, were coming along, and uh, world trade, all of those things. I found a picture over the weekend of a horse, a Belgian draft horse, born in 1928, 19-2 in terms of hands, 3,200 pounds, and his girth, wow. his girth, Hank, 10 feet. <laughs> And so you'd have to have a special set of harness just to get him hooked oh, up. Oh, you'd have to have a special dude to throw it over. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to, yeah. You'd have to have a, a kind wanna, of like a, yeah. a, a lift. <laughs> I want to remind you that in 1930, because the horse lived to be 20 years old, in 1930 when they're throwing a horse over this elephant, they didn't have these lightweight plexi. Poly things they got now. It was leather harness that was hard to lift up and carry, let alone throw it over a 3,200 pound horse. It took 30 inches of straight steel to bend into a shoe to make a shoe for this guy. Wow. What <laughs> size shoe was it? A 25? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the women's size. In a men's size, it was 31. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll send you a a picture. It is just the most impressive thing. Unless you're the one feeding that dude. You know how much he would eat? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Well, and, and, and how would you convert, you know, convert that into horsepower? You know, did did he perform as well as he was size? I mean, he'd have the bully pulpit. Hey, I don't want to work today. What would you do? <laughs> I'm on strike. Sorry, my union representative will be talking to you later. You're gonna go? Oh, come on! Don't do that to me. No. Hey, a 3,200 pound <laughs> horse. He is his union representative. He doesn't need a, a representation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you couldn't. You couldn't do nothing with him if he didn't want to have it done. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yeah, <laughs> that's a big boy. I, it'd be like a modern combine buried in the mud right up mm-hmm. to the cab. Yeah, I mean, it would be. You know, wow. But again, yeah, December 7th, that was his 50th birthday. And, and uh, it was a taken-off point, and by the end of the war, he was harvesting over a million dollars worth of wheat. Mm. And do you have any idea how big a $100 bill was in the 40s? Not really. So, yeah. It was it, as big as a bed sheet. It had to be. A million you know, dollars pick up worth, worth of wheat? $100 is, worth of groceries. Is that what you said? Yep. Wow. Yeah, more than once. And, and year after year. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, yeah, it was a... It was a tremendous, tremendous boom for for him. But the thing of it was is he always talked about the twenties being the death knell. That that every time the price of grain would come up, there would be overproduction, and the price gain would just yeah, plummet. Well, yeah, well, at least we got out of that phase, didn't we, Hank? <laughs> Trent Lewis alongside Hank Vogler, and we have no thirty-two hundred pound draft horse to throw a harness over today we'll take a break we'll be back with more roll routes after this well it's no draft horse but these piedmontese cattle certainly are the beast themselves because they will generate an added profit for you the cattleman because the consumer is willing to pay a price for a fair price for the quality products they've come to know and trust Piedmontese cattle possess the myostatin gene, an inactive form of the myostatin gene. That means that muscle fibers are allowed to grow without the restriction of the myostatin gene, ultimately leading to a very heavily muscled, leaner, very tender piece of beef. The consumer loves tenderness. You love to get paid properly. It is a win-win-win. Lone Creek Cattle Company has put together a set of Piedmontese cattle that is a win for all three segments. Get details about your involvement at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Hank Vogler on the day of infamy, December the 7th, 2020. Could it possibly have the same freedom ring that December 7th, 1941 brought about? You know what I think most people forget, Hank? Uh, uh, Hawaii did not become a state, the 50th state, until 1959. 1941, Hawaii was not a yeah, state. Hawaii and Alaska. Right. Right. It did was you a territory, know, same as the Philippines. Did you know that there was a major disagreement on whether Pearl Harbor would be on the Philippine Islands or the Hawaiian Islands? I By the Japanese? Pardon? No. I mean, you said Pearl Harbor. The, the, where they were going to have the Navy or the, where the, naval, where the, 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 the na- attack was going to happen? No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I misled you. Well, I didn't think I did, but you misheard me. 
the Navy and the United States government had a major disagreement about whether Pearl Harbor would ultimately be the naval base would be at, on the Philippine Islands or the Hawaiian Islands. I see. And William, So Pearl Harbor, it would have been Subic Bay then, the, rather correct. than Pearl Harbor, where the Navy would have been established. Okay, well, here's my question. Well, I don't know the answer to this question. Uh, was it called Pearl Harbor because it was named as a naval base, or was that Pearl Harbor where the naval base went? I would imagine Pearl Harbor. I, I imagine there were oysters in the area, and maybe they collected <laughs> pearls there. And I that would be too logical. To me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. so I'll restate Especially my original. For... Forget Pearl Harbor. There was a discussion and a big debate on whether or not the naval base would be in the Philippine Island, on the Philippine Islands or on the Hawaiian Islands. And it was William Taft, soon to be president, who was a not an ambassador but a coordinator to the Philippine Islands to try to get them to organize themselves and, and assist them into democracy. And he is ultimately the one that on this day in 1913 said, no, I don't trust the Philippines. We, they're not going to get their act together. We should go to Hawaii. I'll be darned. Well, and the Philippines, of course, were taken over immediately by the Japanese because my cousin was there and wound up in the Bataan Death March and survived. Oh, really? So, which he had had his own story. It was an unbelievable story uh, when uh, MacArthur and, and his uh, staff pulled out they fought for 60 days. Uh, you know, the amazing thing was is a lot of people don't understand. And I, and I'm not saying that the Chinese or the Japanese, but, you know, you look at any of those old pictures. It was tough all over the world to get into the army or, or, or the Marines or anything. They, they had more and more restrictions because they had lots of people that wanted to get in. You had to be a perfect specimen, no broken bones, no cavities in your head, no short, no real tall to get into the armed services. It's the same way. I imagine it's easier to get into Harvard than it would be into the Chinese Army or the Japanese Army mm. pre-World War II right. just because people uh, wanted in because it was three hots and a cot. And and anyhow, he, he was captured, and uh, uh, then they put him on a ship. And uh, it almost got torpedoed by the Americans because it was a Japanese ship and it didn't say POWs. It just they just barely got missed. They got to Japan. They put him to work in the Mitsubishi factory. Him and some other fellows figured out how to make the zeros not turn to the left after a few flights. I don't know what they did. Weakened something. Anyhow, they caught him. Put him and they put him in a lead mine. And he was, uh, he spent several years in the hospital after he got home just to survive. But just before he died, when he was 90, I believe, 6 or 97, he got to throw out the first pitch for the San Diego Padres. Yeah, Robert Vogler, look it up. Um, but Dan Death March. You know, you just walk through a bit of history there that's huge, particularly even in today's world. Because all the people who are throwing a fit today are throwing a fit because life has been too easy for them. And they think that the government should be doing these things where uh, that greatest generation was all about, I need to be the solution instead of allowing the government or somebody else to be the solution. 
And so when you have people begging to get into the military because you get, I love your term, three hots and a cot, because life is pretty tough in the outside world. Yeah. And it was the sacrifice that those individuals who were are looking for three hots and a cot made that enabled the Industrial Revolution and enabled us to accumulate serious wealth. And when I'm talking about wealth, I'm not talking about being a billionaire. I'm talking about people that have the ability to feed themselves with ease every single day. And you, when you Car do that, in every garage and two chickens in every pot. Yeah, exactly. And when you do that for enough generations... People become unaware and ungrateful for what it took to get here. Consequently, you have, i.e., 2020 and the political scene that we're in right now. It all makes sense. Well, think, you know, there were <clears throat> there were anti-war riots in the Second World during this before and during the Second World War. There were not everybody beat to the same drum. But the most important thing is is because of that prosperity, because of that feeling of freedom that we had conquered the world, we forgot, as Eisenhower said, you know, the, the industrial uh, military complex, be careful. We allowed the government. We were the most powerful. We never finished the war. We never finished several things. And so when the politicians... Get the upper hand. The politicians don't always have the best in mind for the people. Oh, yeah, every so many years they beat on the drum. But they were politicians. And so depends they on, depends on how long times. the election cycle is. If it's a representative, it's every two years they're beating on the drum. If it's a senator, it's a bit longer. Yes, but it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So what did we do? We said, well, we ought to have a law. I heard that all my life. You know, there ought to be a law. Well, okay, or there ought to be a people that go to the people who make laws and tell them to knock it off. You know, these problems don't that generate themselves mostly come from the fact of the power structure. Look at the civil rights movement. The old solid South were still had their feathers burned from the Civil War, and their only respite was to form a solid solid party that could wield the power, the, not the power that everybody was going to get, but the power that they thought they deserved. And so, ironically, it was the Democrat Party, the solid South. You couldn't get elected dog catchers a Republican because Lincoln was a Republican. What a switch. So all the Jim Crow laws, all the things that, that restricted people that finally blew up in their face almost 100 years later, was all a result of people from the South wanting retribution for the way they thought they were treated by the Congress and the Senate after the Second World or after the Civil War. And they were ensconced in the civil rights movement against it. That's where it all came from. And they knew how to wield power. You kept people from voting or, or 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 you they had laws that you had to practically pass a test to get into harvard to get a a, a ballot so it, it's it's not new it's just changed and 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 now this stuff about defunding the police doing all of these things is based on 
power, not on helping the people, helping individual politicians, individual groups. That's the, that's the thing that we've lost. And there is enough people that should be able to go to their city councils, that should be able to go to their state legislators and say enough's enough. When one county or two counties in the state of Nevada control the rest of it, if, if, if you can go to Las Vegas on any given day and mention something about Southern Nevada Water Authority or the overbalance of power, and their lives are great if they've got a job. Mm. Now, all the people that were making beds and all the people that had minimum wage jobs and things like that, they've left town. There's nothing there left for them. And the only reason the place is still booming is because people are moving out of California because of the same crapola. I don't the see how it can Democrat. be booming. Well, uh, you have a heck of a time getting anything done down there. And everywhere you look, they're building new homes, apartment buildings. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The growth, <clears throat> but yet you go down to the mainstay of what has made Las Vegas and mm-hmm. made Reno practically mm-hmm. is vacant. There's nothing there. Yes, and and I our can't lovely and talented governor ran everybody off. I can't. I'll ask you when we get back. It's roll route. We're halfway through. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Hank Bogart after this. I think this is as good a time as any to remind you about two things. Hey, we have a new supply of pork. If you're interested in a whole butchered pig, a half a pig, or by the piece, let me know. We went to a USDA plant. Also, I want to remind you to watch The Stand at Paxton County. It's on Netflix. It illustrates the challenges that we have with animal rights activists teaming up with local law enforcement. The Stand at Paxton County or Purple Ribbon Pork. Purple Ribbon Pork has a Facebook page. Let's see you soon with some bacon. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose alongside. Just think if I had a quarter instead of a nickel, what I could get back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I'm perplexed. Oh, by the way, I, I'm sitting here this weekend, and i, I got to be honest. I did not watch the NFR, but I've been keeping track of what's happening, and it's been a tremendous success, clearly. And I'm as every time I watch a report, I think – wonder what the folks in Las Vegas are thinking of this overwhelming success. They're advertising on it. They're advertising on it. Can you believe that? You know, the people that control this state has got to be the culinary union that represents the people that work in the casinos. And some of those folks that own and run those casinos got a few bucks in their back pocket. And they haven't taken Governor Exlax. To the to the woodshed and said you can't do this to us. That's two hundred million dollars that comes into our community into your state, and he gets on the tube and says, "Hey, we're going to have to lay off some state employees. We don't have any money coming in. Budget shortfall. Duh. <laughs> I mean, for goodness sakes, wake up. Yeah. Two hundred million dollars is what they think that brings in. They got a brand new football stadium. Nobody can go watch the game. I, you know, I don't want the COVID. Uh, there's issues all the time. If you go to a game, you can get the flu. How many people mm. die no, at a football you, you, game? You, flu of a heart is attack? no longer. There's no flu. It doesn't exist anymore. So you don't need to worry about flu. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. The flu, have you heard of one person coming down with the flu no, and succumbing CDC to its even says ravages? It's non-existent. 
<laughs> I mean, come on. This is all for power and for control. Yeah, but every 100%. time I go to Vegas, with with all <laughs> with all the things that I say that are negative or need to be corrected about the lovely and talented Clark County, i.e. Las Vegas, mm-hmm. you want to have a slap in the face of how well the news media is controlled. Every time I go to Vegas, I last a week ago today, we refinanced my wife's home. Two point six five, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Two point so six five million—that's a big home for a. No, no, five percent interest. For goodness sakes, I wish. No, you do <laughs> not. You do not wish you had a two point six million dollar home. Oh no! Heck, the property taxes are, are already <laughs> outrageous on the house that she has. But anyhow, so we got to go to a, a notary and mm-hmm. sign papers for an hour. All these uh, for the party, the first part, party, the second part. All these lawyers uh, hammered me for six thousand four hundred and forty-three dollars and forty-two cents to to refinance uh, on a new home. They had to have it appraised again, of course. All these, I mean, it just, is a ripoff, but in the long run, I'll get the money back in spades because 3.87 is a lot more money, which I got down from 4.5. So that part is wonderful. So we're sitting at this notary, nice lady, probably in her fifth, late 50s. And she says, well, <clears throat> you have a, you, you live out of Ely? And I said, well, I do. I have, we have a ranch out there. Oh. oh. Well, where is it out of Ely? I was through there one time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in North Spring Valley. Oh, where's that? I said, well, have you heard about Southern Nevada Water Authority buying all those ranches, trying to put in that pipeline, perjured themselves, lied, cheated, did everything in the world to put this together? Really? But there's advertisements on the TV saying what a great bunch of folks and how concerned citizens Southern Nevada Water Authority is. Mm-hmm. But they, no, I can't find one. I have never spoken to one person in Las Vegas other than a cab driver several years ago when Dean Baker and I were down there beating on the drum to, hey, you know, the, the British are coming, the SNWA right. is coming, you know, all the things. That, and this cab driver who was an, probably an illegal immigrant, I shouldn't be disparaging, but he could barely speak English, he lectured me right. on, on Southern yeah. Nobody you know, knows that it's even going on. Hank, I've had that, obviously not for a while, but I've had that pretty regularly where you get in a cab in a large city. Even in Los Angeles, I had this happen. I got in a cab with a guy who know, who knew more about the property right erosion. But you know why? They came from a country where they were living it. And now they see, yes. they see beginning the beginnings of what happened in their country starting here. Yeah. And when they had my wife jerked out of the car with the dog on the hottest day of the year because some good Samaritan, had, the dog had jumped up in the window and was scratching on the window, and she's, t- she's reciting the Constitution to them. <laughs> and they're demanding that they, she give them her driver's license, which she doesn't have a driver's license. Yeah, She's got all her other credentials and all mm. of her other ID, but and they wouldn't accept it. They had to have a driver's license. It was out of... The norm. So, I mean, the, the the things that we have to put up with in this country, because we have allowed it to happen. You know, whether the influence is from China or from Russia or I don't care where it's from, we have allowed this to happen. 
And when they burn your city down and you just kind of, I mean, who, why are these people hunkering down? And then rather than demanding from the people, they're the taxpayer. Why? They put up plywood. Okay. So what a much of a deterrent is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how well, hard is it to you, you go into the hardware store of a window? You go into the hardware store first, and you loot a sawzall, and then you go over to the other stores <laughs> that got plywood, <clears throat> and you take care of it. And get you an ex- don't forget to get an extension cord. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, this is nuts. But nobody wants to get involved. Nobody wants it. Ain't my ox that's being yeah. gored. So hey, you no, know it's too late. Yeah, gee, I'm sorry. You know. Hey, um, <laughs> speaking of China, my loose tales today actually happens to be about China, and uh, you're in my favorite non-U.S. country, Australia. Believe it or not, Hank is in a trade war with China. China has yes. announced this past weekend a two hundred and twelve dollar tariff. On imported wine from Australia. Hmm. Yellowtail's gonna yeah, have to which, start selling more of it in America, I guess. Which they Isn't say the well, of it? Yeah. Which they by the way, they came clean on that. They 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 found the error of their ways and they did fix their problems. But um not only is it a wine issue, it's gonna spill over into forestry, barley and uh one other commodity. Beef? Uh, nope, not beef. But they're, they, they, Australia was set to increase exports to China, <clears throat> excuse me, by 7% in the next year. And so they've also increased production by 7%. So China throwing up a trade barrier, them increasing production and decreasing importing is causing a problem. As you can imagine. You ever heard that story before? <laughs> yes. Yes, it, it, it's, it's, uh, again, I, I am by no means an expert. I've only been to Beijing and Chengdu, but I guarantee you everything that I saw, it was not a, it was not a, a, a orchestrated tourist deal. I lived with them. I, I saw everything that went on and, and, and maybe with a jaundice eye, but there are two Chinas. There is the capitalist pig China, which is rampant. They, I mean, when you drive down the street in a town that's considered not even a big town, but there's 12 million people there, mm-hmm. they have a Maserati dealership, a Bentley, a Rolls Royce deal. I mean, you, you can buy anything. Now, not not the person out there with some palm leaves sweeping the street is not buying it, but somebody is. Somebody's making some money. And then you have the government. And when you run into the government, you go around it. But those people went from abject poverty and starvation and death in one generation to what they've done. Now, I'm not going to get into the argument of did they steal it, did they deserve it or what, right. or did we allow them to do it? Whatever, they're there. But you want to whip up nationalism, you start tell, pointing the finger at everybody else. And when you control the news media, and even CNN in in, in China is as bad as the, the CCP, CP or whatever it is, the communist uh, are you, outlet. Are, it's horrible. Are you indicating there's a difference between CNN there and here? I'm not. It's a hundred times worse over there. Oh, than it is here. I don't believe but, you. I think they're learning from what they're doing in China how to control the thought process here. I'm sure they are. 
So the whole thing of it is, when you control everything and you start telling everybody day after day after day that it's those Australians that are cheating, it's those Americans are cheating, it's it's the Taiwanese that are cheating, it's all these other countries, and and we have a, you know we got to stick together. So you stir up nationalism, you know. Pearl Harbor stirred up nationalism in the United States. People quit high school and joined the armed services uh, right in the middle. I mean, everybody uh, or not everybody, but a lot of people absolutely went to war for their country, ready to go. It was it was nationalism, you know, yeah. uh, well, we experienced the that for like a month after 9-11. Yes, and then it all went away. Mm-hmm. And oh well, let the government take care of it. We have a right. strong military. We can whip anybody. Well, we can, except when you keep underpinning, under you know, kicking all all the slats. You know, <laughs> you take the first slat out from under a pier, and the pier doesn't collapse. But if you keep knocking the, it, 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 there's some kind of a block game I saw at one time that where you pull out a block and you pull mm-hmm. out a block and you try and be the last one to do why, it before it collapses. You, why wouldn't you use your barn as an example instead of a pier? The analogy would be the same. Uh, well, because my, my barn's held together with baling wire and chewing gum, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is too. Uh, so, uh, and I'll bring you some pigs and they'll put a test to your chewing chewing gum and baling wire. <laughs> hey, big, 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 yeah. big, big. It's roll route. <laughs> Hank Vogler is going to start calling hogs. We're going to take a break. I'm not sure who the dog's alerting him to, but I think he's got an invader. As he sips his coffee, not worried about it. We'll be back with the final segment of Roll Route right after this. We're now joined by Brad Wright, Ranch Hand Analytics of Hearn, Texas, utilizing the Neogen Igenity Test, looking at the genomics. We need to increase predictability, Brad. You know, there's only so much cattle producers can do on the revenue side. When it's time to sell calves, it's time to sell calves, and we're kind of, you know, market takers, and there's all kinds of things we can do to to put yourself in a better place. But at the end of the day, you don't have a lot of say-so in what those calves bring, uh, but we can control our costs and getting more calves weaned uh, per cow exposed, um, increasing how long that cow can stay in the herd so that we're paying her off and, and get some useful life after we've paid for her development or purchase price if you're buying replacements. You know, those are the kind of things I think can really long-term impact uh, a cow-calf operation. And, uh, you know, one of the other things that, that heterosis can affect is the health, and, and we don't see that as much. Oh, but in absolutely. the sending cattle to feedlot, the, those with higher uh, heterosis values uh, can stay healthier and be hardier in the feedlot. And this predictability can be found on the web at Neogen.com, shining a light on your genetic future. Welcome back to Roll Route Trent Loose. Hank Vogler into the final segment where he does not even live close to Clark County, Nevada. Hey, it's a big day here at our place, Hank. Really? Yeah. Um, well, not only because we uh, pay tribute and honor those who have risked everything, protect our freedom, December 7th being it, it is what it is. But, you know, the bottleneck occurred, and particularly livestock, started last March, April. There was a point in time when you could not give a pig away. And we we had been taking 20 to 40 pigs a month to five different local butcher shops, Four of those custom plants only, one USDA plant. I've not been able to get a pig into that USDA plant since April. 
and he called me last week on Wednesday, and the minute I saw him calling on my phone, I answered by saying, how many you want? He said, I can take up to 30 Monday. So today, Kelly is now en route home from delivering 20, I only had 20 ready, to our, our USDA plant, and we're back in the business of selling pork. We haven't done that since April. Wow. Good, good for you, and they're already trying to bang down the price of cattle out here by saying that there's a COVID outbreak in a couple of the processing plants, and so therefore nobody's going to go buy it. But you go to the grocery stores, they're out of toilet paper, they're out of, they're yeah. out of paper towels, well, and the uh, meat case has been gutted. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> I think I'm going to tell you, I see in the next three months another bottleneck coming that's going to be bigger than the one we lived through in April. And beef I wouldn't and pork. be surprised. I see it in beef and pork. Yeah. And it's all for control. Yeah, Everything it is. It's based on controlling the masses, uh, you know, fabricate something. Yes, people are dying of COVID, and they're dying of the flu. They're dying in car wrecks. They're dying of gunshot wounds. They're dying of heart attacks. What is it, 600,000 people a year die of heart attacks? Uh, uh, I mean, stuff happens. People get old. I think that's Even way me. low. You said 650,000? Yeah. No, that's way low. But uh, uh third okay. leading cause Strokes. by the, third leading cause of death by the way is medical doctor error. Oh, see. And still <laughs> yeah. people get sick they go to the doctor. Well, what's the logic in that? It's called a practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I again, it's uh until enough people's ox gets gored. You know, even in the Depression, people made money. Not everybody went broke. The people who worked at the railroads, different things. This time, this last COVID fiasco, nobody from the government got laid off. But now they drug it out longer than they probably anticipated they needed to do. Now they don't know what to do with it. And they're going to have to lay some people off because they've got budget shortfalls. Well, the answer is to print more money. Hmm, how does that always work? Uh, you ready to start buying uh, million dollar tractors? You, you ready to start buying three hundred thousand dollar pickups, or the other way around? No money out there at all. I mean, either way it goes, the best way to get out of it is by economic growth. And how do you get economic growth? Gee, you got to put people back to work. You got to put the kids back in school so mama can go to work. Whatever. Right. You know, so not everybody can work from home. You would think eighteen years later, I would know better than to argue with you on data, but anyway. Uh, heart disease from not the full year, but February 1 through November 20th in the United States. February 1, November 21. Heart disease, 600,000. Cancer, uh, 475,000. COVID, 200 and, what is it, 225. It looks, I'm looking at a graph, so I'm coming close. Yeah. Stroke Again. is uh, right at 100,000. Alzheimer's, 100,000. So, yep. yeah, you're right. Well, about so, 650,000 a year. Again, are we talking about that? No. No. What we should be talking about is, is no matter who becomes the president, we cannot lose our focus. We have got to get a handle on the swampies. And they're coast to coast, the swampies. Again, I keep, you know, my, you know, I'm not talking about the sage grouse, but the same kind of crap. The sage grouse is in trouble because of the raven. 
So, but what do we want to do? We want to give more power to the cottage industry of people who don't give a nickel's worth of nothing about the sage grouse, but the cause celeb brings in a bucket load of money. Uh, right here, I've had to hire an attorney to try and get this mess straightened out with SNWA. They called me Friday. Mr. Vogler, uh, we have checked with the Secretary of State. There is no limited liability corporation that has anything to do with SNWA. Everything, all the deeds of trust, everything is in SNWA's name, which is a subdivision of the state of Nevada, which is illegal to hold a permit. Is anybody going to the slammer for perjury? No. You know, is anybody in Washington, D.C. Uh, that ha from the former secretary of uh, the what is what was she secretary of, of state uh, is she in jail had a server in somebody's garage in Colorado or wherever all these things we're letting this go and we should not we should if we have to clean out everybody at the FBI down to the guy that started working there yesterday that still has some moral compass He's got to be the chief of it because obviously no matter how many of them they get rid of, the next guy up is no better. You know, why did the yeah. Durham report have to wait till after the election? Why why hasn't William Barr sent somebody to prison except some low-level secretary that said, okay, I'll lie for you? And he's still not in jail. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is – the corruption has to – we have to get a handle on We had problems with the Teapot Dome years ago. Uh, we've had problems in government because it's always the same. Teapot Dome. Well, yeah, that they, they, that was one of the presidents uh, a long time ago, Harding or something like that. They, they had a bunch of uh, oil leases or something. Uh, oh, yeah, they were yeah, yeah. boogieing in Wyoming. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, so let's, all, there's let's always go, good corruption. Let's go back to this that you skimmed over a little quickly, and yet now you've got a, a big lawyer bill. And you're not going to win, no matter whether you win or not, because you're going to be taxed to the point where it'll be tough. Yeah, and nobody will Southern, ever forgive me for broaching the subject. Southern Nevada Water Authority, if they're not legal to own this property, these ranches that they are, it, it should have never gotten this far. How long? As long as I've known you, this has been a challenge. Yeah. And now they have trespassed me on my own permit. And now SNWA has come in and filed on water rights on my permit, a permit that I purchased mm -hmm. two years prior to them. I mean, how would you like to get home uh -huh. from being on well, the road and you pull into your driveway and some guy is unloading livestock in your field? And you go, oh, pardon me, what are you going to do? Well, uh, I, I made this deal with the government. And uh, two years after you bought this property, I decided that I had some sort of a a vague, vague thing because one time somebody used used this pasture right here for somebody else's cow. So I'm going to take over and take it away from you. And you better get out of my way or I'll bring the full force of the BLM, every government agency on this earth against you. Well, and also and you can't figure, understand they're figuring they have a deeper <laughs> pocket to hire attorneys. They have I'm the attorneys 10, hired. Bucks. They have the attorneys yeah, hired. All they have to do is outlive you when it comes to paying an attorney. Yep. Isn't that something? You could represent you go, yourself. I got a hug from the Secretary of State. Why don't you represent <laughs> yourself? Because uh, I really don't have the time because I can't get my men out of Peru, so my daily schedule has tripled and quintupled. 
Uh, I, the rules and regulations by the Department of Labor is just out unbelievable. Mm. And and the amount of paperwork, I should be wearing a dress and high heels. No well, offense, ladies, okay, but so I am then, a secretary. Then here's my proposal. You and I get better at uh, PR beyond this program, and we go win it with the state of Nevada and public opinion. We make sure that that lady that you talked to in Las Vegas knows the true story behind the illegal activity by the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Because at this point, you and I are only two that know it. <laughs> Beautiful fluff piece in the Las Vegas Review Journal of what a great job is being done by SNW as a rancher. Nothing mentioned in there. I think I think you can buy private land, the state can, to transfer the water to a city. I think that's regular fare. But to control hundreds of thousands of acres in the public domain when it specifically states that you can't. And the yeah. Forest Service is the same way. So, again, you well, know, What's good for the goose should be good for the gander. And, and my theory sounds really good, but the truth of the matter is that if you boil it all down, what it's going to come down to is that how many people live in Vegas? A million? Oh, I think over that. I'm not sure, but okay, there's a so, slug of folks. But there's a million people who are looking at you got to go Clark County. See, that's the other thing that they do. They say Vegas. Yeah. Well, there's Henderson. There's Vegas. There's North uh -huh. Las Vegas. There's several communities there. Clark County, that's the whole enchilada, but at which the end includes of the day, Mesquite, which is growing. The folks in Clark County, they look at you as one person that's expendable to enable water for a million. There, therein lies our challenge. Well, and they're not even getting the water because they've been turned down twice by the federal courts that they can't do it. They can't build a pipeline, and they don't have the right to take it to Vegas. Mm -hmm. So... You know, because you're a bureaucrat, you can't make mistakes, so therefore you continue to cover up the mistakes you've already made, and you just keep, you know, and, of course, the arrogance and the hubris is just beyond the pale. And so they they know they can drag their feet forever, but in the meantime, it's the taxpayers in Clark County, where most of them are at, that are paying for these charades now. The manager gets two hundred and some thousand dollars a year in salary, and then he's got a boss who has another boss. I mean, if you add up all the money that they're wasting to the taxpayers of the state of Nevada, it's pretty there's substantial. The, there's the story, Hank. That's the one we need to share with the Las yes. Vegas Review. And some lady from Range Magazine, uh, editor or whatever, you know, a, a, a reporter, and she wrote an article up and and my lovely and talented face is in there, and so is uh, the folks that they're trashing down in Lincoln County, the Glockner family. Is it and in Range or in the Las Vegas Review? It's, though? it's in your face. Well, I'd love it. I'm sure that I'm sure CJ would send it to anybody that would want to put. Yeah, but there, therein lies the problem. We continue to print the the news stories in our publications without any crossover into the people in Clark okay. County don't read Range. I'll tell you what. You call them up and tell them that you have yeah. a absolutely beautiful piece written about Southern Nevada Water Authority and see how quick Harry, Harry Henry Bream hangs mm -hmm. up on you. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, here's the other I've part of the story. We, we have the range website, and we can get it virtually to them. That's the word for 2020. Let's do it virtually.
We have virtually conquered the entire time slot with Hank Vogler fuming from White Pine County, Nevada. Trent Luce, both of us remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route.